Numbers chapter 21, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 9. We're off our Revelation series for tonight. I, I'm looking forward to the next, next message from uh, chapter 3, verse 8, on the church at Philadelphia. And it preaches well. It could fit tonight. But that's not what God gave me for this evening. I was out walking with God on Thursday and uh, just spending some time praying and over meditating on some things. And, and uh, God just started working my heart about several messages, uh, just several things he put on my heart. And one of them was this passage of Scripture. And just my heart was very heavy for our country, the world our area and this COVID-19 situation and just very heavy for souls and the Lord started working my heart and while I was just kind of walking around and walking with God and just quoting scripture and just things like that God put in my heart a message here that I, I feel that we need to hear this evening and so I hope you'll indulge me tonight and let the Holy Spirit speak to you Numbers chapter 21 Numbers 21 one to, verses 1 to 9 now I'm going to read out loud I'm going to read out loud but at home, where you're at, I want you to read together as a family, or read it if with me, if you would, as a family, or read it by yourself. I want you to read it out loud. There's something about reading God's Word out loud that speaks to your heart. You do that tonight as I read the Scriptures. Numbers 21 in the Old Testament, Numbers 21, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book of the Bible, Numbers 21, verse 1, we're going to read to verse 9, and when King Arid, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and, he, and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then will I utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel, and he delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities, and he called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hur by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. An amazing passage of Scripture. Verse 6, <clears throat> the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. I want you to fathom in your mind for just a minute, <clears throat> stretch your imagination, a wide expanse of area with somewhere upwards of 3 million Israelites, old and young, men and women, 
boys and girls. That's a lot of people. I mean, I think about LA, the L.A. area, about 2 million people. I think about the San Francisco Bay Area, they say upwards to 1.8 million people. That's a lot of people. That's a large, expansive area. And God, <clears throat> by the way, who's in control of all things, amen? These fiery serpents, which I'll tell you about a little bit later, I believe these were cobras. It was a venomous serpent. God sent these fiery serpents among the people. And the Bible says they bit the people. In my mind, I believe that just about everybody got bit. And many people died. They had a crisis on their hand, did they? They had a crisis on their hand. And it was happening very fast. Tonight, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and I'm going to preach you a message this evening entitled, God's Cure for the Crisis. Now before I preach it, let me just put here tonight, this is, I'm not giving a whacked out message about what the cure is for coronavirus. That's not what this is about. This is not some whacked out message saying somebody's got a cure for it. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am going to preach you about a crisis that has all the similarities of what the coronavirus is doing and God's cure for this kind of a virus, God's cure for that kind of a crisis. May God humble our hearts right now and let us approach the throne of grace as individuals, as families, with a heart ready to receive the engrafted word, which is able to save souls. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer as you're watching from home? Lord, we love you, and we don't tell you that enough. And we don't tell you that flippantly. We don't love you enough because the Bible says we are to Lord, love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, and all that's about us. And tonight I pray that we grow in love. I pray tonight that help every one of us to say, I miss my church. I miss the assembling of ourselves together. Forgive us tonight for things we took for granted that we got used to. Just the greeting of people at the, at the front door. The miracle buildings that you put up here. The offerings that are taken. The assembling of ourselves together. The children being ministered to in the nursery and children's program our Sunday school and adult growth groups, God assembling together for the preaching of your word. God, give us a hunger for you. Give us a desire for you. Holy Spirit, may you be unhindered. May you have fluidity and liberty to work in hearts. I pray for guests and visitors, maybe even preachers and missionaries that have watched us for every service that might be joining us tonight. I pray that everyone listening and watching would be ministered to 
Father, pray to be a, a good shepherd to feed the flock of God which is among us. Feed our souls tonight. And thank you tonight that the true chief shepherd and bishop of our souls, he's here right now. He's the great shepherd of the sheep who through the blood of the everlasting covenant said he'd make us perfect, complete, to do all the will of God. Lord, we pray tonight for revival. Those elements of repentance and contrition, weeping over our sins. We read this morning about how, how Moab was weeping abundantly. And tonight we need some of that for our country and for the sins of this world. God, I pray this evening that, Lord, you'd help me to just be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, saturated with the Holy Spirit this evening to minister to every member of our church. Help every sick soul. Help every hurting soul. Help every healthy soul tonight. God, give us what we need this evening. And may we give you the glory and praise. I pray that there may be even someone watching tonight who doesn't know Christ as their Savior. They're not saved. They've never made a receiving of faith of, by, of Christ. Tonight, I pray they get saved through the service. I pray that tonight, God, we'd have a tender heart and we'd see the wonderfulness of God working in our lives. Bless this service, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Bay Area, America, and the world at large is in a major crisis. The infectious spread of COVID-19 has us under a shelter-in-place order right now. They say into April 7th, the likelihood is going to be extended. Our president said today he's going to extend some of these orders and rules to April 30th. I think that's a wise thing because of how the numbers have exploded. And I want you to consider with me as of about 1.45 p.m. today, the staggering numbers around surrounding the infectious spread of COVID-19 around the world, and it's larger than what I'm going to give you right now. It's, it's increased since then. But confirmed 713,000 confirmed cases. 713,000 confirmed cases. 33,000 that have died. 149,000 which are confirmed recovered, which is a small segment of that 700,000. In the United States of America, a week ago this time, we were much smaller in number than where it's at now. This week, it has exploded. As of today, we are at 137,000 confirmed cases. 137,000 confirmed cases. Italy is at 97,000 confirmed cases. In the Bay Area, we have 1,847 cases, 47 deaths. Alameda County alone, which just, just last, going into last Sunday, I think we were at seven confirmed cases. We are now at 240 cases in Alameda County, 646 in Santa Clara County, 340 in San Francisco County. Our health care sector is sorely strained. There are, enough, there are not enough hospital beds. There are not enough, um, there's not enough just of anything right now. There's not enough masks and ventilators for our healthcare professionals. We could go on and on with numbers and statistics until you and I are ad nauseum. Every sector of our world is impacted. A severe financial impact will be felt 
in the days to come. How large gatherings will be approached in the near future will change. For the first few weeks, when we are able to reconvene, I think a lot of people will be very cautious and suspicious and will continue to practice social distancing for fear of catching it. And as I said this morning, let's be careful that in the midst of social distancing, that we don't become spiritually distant, that we lose our compassion, we lose our heart for God's people. We lose our heart for reaching souls for Christ. Amen. On a positive note, thank God that there are different bio, bio, uh, biotech and pharmaceutical companies working around the clock and trying to come with vaccines and cures. And some medications developed for other illnesses have been tested on certain groups of people and have worked successfully. Uh, people have had more time together. I hope you appreciate having more time with your family. You might be going crazy together doing that. And parents, I know it's been a strain if you're homeschooling your kids, but you ought to thank God you get that opportunity to do that. You ought to thank God that you realize that there was a day and time when families did homeschool their kids and they took responsibility for their kids. And listen, we need to get back to the Bible way. And some of us need a revival, Deuteronomy chapter 6, to remind ourselves we're to make the Word of God prominent. Listen, parents, if you're homeschooling your kid, let me just give you a plug right now. If you're homeschooling your kids at home, make sure you're having a daily chapel of the Bible, the Word of God with your family. Have a chapel time. Dads, why don't you grow up? And dads, you get the Bible and take some time for 15, 20 minutes and challenge your family in the Word of God. Don't preach to them, but challenge them to live for Christ. Build character in them. Take responsibility. Teach your children how to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and say please and thank you, and may I, excuse me. I mean, teach them some character while you're doing all this. I thank God on a positive note, we're still able to have church services via live stream. We've got to take this crisis very seriously. And so tonight in Numbers 21, while we're off the series for this week on Revelation, we see another crisis. It's a crisis every Christian goes through. It's in every heart in life. Please hear me tonight. Don't start multitasking while I'm preaching. Don't go off on some tangent somewhere. Follow the word of God this evening. If you haven't pulled down the notes, pull down the notes. Be conscientious. Take some notes. You know and I know that when you write things down, your tendency of remembering things is much better. So tonight I want you to see the cure for the crisis. You want you to notice this evening as we unbundle this passage of Scripture and exegete, I want you to see a crisis in God's cure. Number one, I want you to notice a conquest. In verses 1 to 3, we have the story here, and I think, I think chronologically this probably happened a little bit earlier during their, their journey in the, uh, in the Egyptian wilderness, but we're told about a Canaanite king by the name of King Arad. And he heard that Israel had sent some spies and we're searching out the land. He didn't want them coming his way. And so when he heard that, he came out and met them. The Bible says in verse 1, he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And later on, as that happened, Israel 
They got unified, and they made a unified vow. They said, Lord, if you'll help us to deal with these people, you'll deliver our prisoners, our people back to us, and give them into our hand. We will destroy their city. We will obey you. And the Bible says, the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered the Canaanites to them, and they utterly destroyed them. And as we start off this passage, I remind you that Israel was in a state of victory. They were in a state of conquest. You know, it's great to be on the winning side, amen? We're saved, and we're on the winning side. And God saved us in victory. God saved us that we would have victory because the Bible says this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And I'm reminded tonight that, Lord, that God saved us in victory. And maybe you're struggling with something, but I want to tell you in Jesus Christ, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right before the COVID-19 spread really took off here, we were busy making plans for great Easter outreach. And mind you, it seems a long time ago, but we're coming off a 2019 fall and early winter program programs where there were some great conquests. We probably saw the largest number of people saved and we're following up on right now from our fall programs, from our friend day, our Thanksgiving banquet, our regular services, our Christmas musical. I mean, God just really, really blessed us with a large number of first-time visitors. And we have a lot of people watching right now that, are, that were saved or have come into contact with our church through all of that, and we're thankful for that tonight. But anytime there's victories and conquests, the devil, the world, and the flesh come around and want to meet us. When we're on top side, when we've had a, gotten a new job, we've got a job promotion, we've gotten rid of some debt, when we're, we've gotten spiritual victory, I mean, all these things, the devil comes out to meet us, and, and sometimes he wants to defeat us, but I'm thankful that in spite of these attacks here, that Israel was victorious. They prayed and asked God for help, and when, and when, when God gave them that victory, they, they utterly destroyed that place, and the Bible says in verse 3, they gave it a name, and the name of that place was called Horma. Horma means devotion. There's later, Josh would come back and reclaim that city, would be, part, would be part of the inheritance of the tribe of Judah. It was called the place of devotion. And I remind you tonight as we begin this message, let's remember that that place of victory that God has saved us is a place of devotion. Be devoted to Jesus Christ. Be wholly given unto him. Secondly, we see the crossroads. Look at verse 4. They come off this victory. They renamed that location that King Herod had. They utterly destroyed the inhabitants, those terrible idol worshipers, destroyed their cities. And the Bible says in verse 4, they journeyed from Mount Hur by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. I want you to understand kind of the, the landscape there. They had crossed over the Red Sea. They're in this area of Mount Hur, so that means they are west, west where they would wind up because they wanted to go over to Edom. Edom was south of Moab. Moab was south of what the area that Reuben would inherit next to the Dead Sea, very, very south in their area, that land. And they, they made this long, very long journey 
this very long walk where it says, from Mount Hur, by the way of the Red Sea, to compass the land of Edom. They would go through Edom. We'll see that later on in that chapter because they would wanted to go through what was called the King's Highway to get to a destination. Now, my thought I want to give you tonight is they came to a crossroads. The first thing we see is the journey. The Bible says they journeyed. A journey is a walk. It's a travel distance. It describes a walk. It describes our pilgrimage, the way you take to get somewhere. Whatever it was, it was a very long walk. It was a very long journey they went. Sometimes we can be in this journey, and to us, it might feel like a long time. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. But sometimes walking by faith can feel like a very long time. We've been under shelter in place for 14 days. It feels like a long time. You're going through cancer treatments, and you pray for our members who are. It feels like a long time. We are caring for somebody whose health is on the decline, and they require more help. It feels like a long time. We've been out of church physically together as an assembly. It feels like a long time. They were on a journey that they felt like was a long time. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the journey, we can get a little tired of the journey. We can get a little tired of the walk. We can get a little tired of doing the same thing. You know, part of the journey is winning souls. And part of the journey is reading our Bibles and having prayer. And part of the journey is caring for the saints. And part of the journey is serving God fervently. And part of the journey is doing all those things. And sometimes we can get tired of the journey. And right now, some of us right now in our circumstance, you may be tired of being stuck at home. You may be tired of the mounting bad news every way. There's a journey. But listen, they were at a crossroads. There was not only the journey, there was the junction. They came to a crossroad. Now, a crossroad is a fork in the road. You have to decide which way you're going to go. They stopped between Hormah and Edom near the King's Highway. Listen, as that crossroad, that juncture, you've got to decide today what path you're taking. You have to decide today you're going to have faith in God or you're going to have fear of the disease. You have to decide today you're going to keep on tithing or you're going to stop giving. You have to decide today you're going to pray more or you're going to pray less. You have to decide today you're going to make preparation for the day we come back as a church. You're either going to be on fire for God or you're, going to be a, you're just going to be a little ember that needs reviving right there. I'm just saying today we have to make some decisions. We're at a crossroads. We're at a junction. They were at a junction. The Bible says they journeyed from Mount Hur by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. They stopped there. They were at a junction. They had to make a decision. They went a long way and they were tired and they were weary and they were wondering, when are we going to arrive at our destination? I want you to notice in verse 4, we see the choleric. The Bible says in verse 4, while they're at this junction, listen as I read it, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way, because of the junk, the journey. Choleric describes our spirit. A choleric person is impatient and peevish, quick-tempered, offended, outraged. Much discouraged means just that. It means they were grieved in their heart because of the journey. 
they had become impatient with Moses and with God. They were short in their temper. They were ill-tempered. It is also not trans- it is also translated beyond impatience and grieved in soul and ill-tempered. It is also you find that the word in the Hebrew is also the word we get our word reap or reaper from. I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought it was kind of interesting that the, the phrase much discouraged, the word for much discouraged means we're going to reap what we sow. And these people were choleric. They got to the place where they were impatient, they were ill-tempered, they got easily offended. I see it all the time. Your church, man, is starting church on Sunday morning. And if you love Sunday morning church, say amen on the message right now. But I'll tell you, stand at the door, and I love standing at the door, greeting people. Man, if I had to choose one of many, many, many ministries, I would choose to be a greeter. Because I love to shake people's hands and greet them and tell them, welcome to church. I want them to know church is a great experience. But every now and then you have somebody come in who's choleric. They look like they got baptized in lemon juice. How many understand what I'm saying tonight? Amen. Got baptized in lemon and lime juice, and they they were under that lemon and lime juice so much that man, their face is all puckered up. Man, they they may stop at a greeter that they don't know, and they'll shake their hands and just be very very curt with them. Then they then they zone in on me. They look at me, man. They just unloaded. It's like they had a bad stomachache, and they just let it all out on me. You know, they just unload and let me. They tell me all the stuff that's wrong. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with the church? Don't you know this? Don't you know that? And all their attitude is about correcting things. Really, the problem is they're impatient with the preaching. The preaching's either too short, or in most cases, the preaching's too long. Or we're, we're how come we're only King James only? And how can we take such a strong stand about, about things? And how can, why do we take a strong about doctrine? And generally speaking, I find that most of the time, someone who's very choleric, there's several characteristics. Number one, that person only comes to church when they feel like it. Number two, I find that person's mainly a Sunday morning attendee because they got that from some Protestant church mindset. And I want to tell you this evening, when we get back to church, don't forget, we are Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church. You said, well, you sure demand a lot. You know what? A God who sent his son to die for my sins, we ought to give him everything we have. Amen? What we give to God in comparison to what he gives to us, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. These people were grieved and impatient because of the journey and the junction they arrived at. Here, are you choleric? You walk around the chip on your shoulder? You're not happy with how comfortable the seats are? You're upset because online giving is not up, up and running right now. You're upset because there was a typo in the bulletin the last time you were here. You're upset because Mrs. Fear in the orchestra and Mrs. Fong corrected you, and you felt like, hey, you know what? I felt like I don't need to be corrected. I am a musician. No, you are a servant of God before you're a musician. Or you're impatient because you said, well, somebody didn't, there's water all over the counter in the bathroom. Well, why don't you be a good servant and get a paper towel and wipe it up, amen? These people were choleric. We see the complaint, notice verse 5. They stopped at the way, they're at this junction. Now they're at a crossroads, they had to make a decision there. And the decision they should have made is, you know, Moses, what does God want us to do? Moses, what does God want us to do? 
Because Moses was just, you really, Moses, his name really isn't even mentioned up until we get to right now to verse 5. And there's these choleric people. We see their complaint. Now they had to let it out because they had more time on their hands than things to do. And let me help you tonight. If you've got more time on your hands right now with the shelter-in-place rule than you've got things to do, you better contact me this week. I'll give you things to do. If you're, right, if you're used to being busy, you're no longer busy, you better get yourself busy. You better get out and be, read your Bible, and you better pray, and you better get up early in the morning. Don't you be using shelter in place to sleep in longer and become more slothful. As I read in my devotion this morning, slack not thy hand, get busy for God, do something for the Lord, write a bunch of letters, tell people that you love them and you thank God for them. Why don't you take some time to spend more time praying for our church and our medical professionals and people who are on the front lines of this thing. And the Bible says there is a complaint. Notice verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Notice, first of all, they were belligerent. They spoke against God. And against Moses. They had it. I mean, you get three million people together. On a long, sandy journey. You're going to have some people disgruntled. And I want you to understand, it wasn't a few people. It was all the people. It spread like a virus. It permeated the whole spirit of the camp. And when we speak against God, that is rebellion. That is saying we are not interested and having submission. You single ladies praying for a husband, one of the key characteristics I hope you're praying for, you're praying for a godly, godly man, but you prayer to pray for a godly man that has a spirit of submission, that they can follow leadership. A godly man who does not buck people, who doesn't have his own crazy ideas about things, but can follow in place. It'll help your marriage one day. These people said, we don't want to go any further. They spoke against God, and they spoke against Moses. And by the way, when you speak against God's man, you're speaking against God. They were complaining. Notice they were belligerent. Notice something else in verse 5. They were bitter. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, and the people spake against God and against Moses. Now, they were belligerent. It was already in them. That was, they already had that earlier because they, they, they'd already complained previously about, about where's the bread and where's the water and what about this and what about that. But I want you to notice their bitterness. The Bible says, wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to, the, to, to die in the wilderness? Now, the bitterness came out. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? That's interesting. This is a carryover of number 16, of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. This is a carryover of their bitterness and rebellion against Moses. You see, the, the infection was already there, but now it went full bloom. There were silent carriers of this infection that infected the whole congregation, and it went throughout the whole place there. It was a carryover of what they saw. Listen, bitterness is always contagious. The Bible tells us that bitterness always spreads. It is a hidden root that when it springs up, it defiles many. Bitterness spreads. It springs up. 
It questions the good and imagines the worst. It's to see the results in rebellion. These people were belligerent in their complaint. They were bitter in their complaint. What you notice in verse 5, they were blinded in their complaint. The Bible says there, for there's no bread, neither is there any water. What are you talking about? No bread. God was sending them manna from heaven. That sweet little round thing took care of them. So listen, the Bible calls it angel's food. How could you say there's no bread? How could you say there's no water? They saw Moses strike a rock and water gushed out of the rock. How could you say there's no bread and no water? They were blinded to the blessings of God. Listen, we can get to the place, we'll say this, the preaching's boring, the preaching's long, or something's wrong here, or something's wrong with this leader, something's wrong with this person. We're blinded to the blessings of God. Where there's a contagion, people talk like God has failed them. There's more unthankfulness and resentment. Oh, listen, in their complaint, they were belligerent. and They were bitter. They were blinded. Would you notice verse 5? This is something I want you to see. They were blasphemous. There was blasphemy. These people were so choleric. They were so peeved off. They were so upset. They had the audacity to rebel against God verbally and Moses verbally. They, they, they let their bitterness come out. They, they said there was no bread nor water. Then they said, our soul. They Notice this, our soul. Our soul. That tells you how pervasive, how pervasive this crisis was. Our soul loatheth this light bread. What they said was this word loathe, it was, a, it was a word of contempt. They spoke in contempt of the manna from heaven. They despised the provision of God. They said it was despicable and it was worthless. That's what they mean there. They said this light bread. You know what they were doing? They were speaking against Jesus, the bread of life. They were speaking against my Savior. They were speaking against the one who gave his life to die for our sins, the one who can satisfy every hunger, the one who can feed our soul. They said, we, our soul, despises and finds contemptible and worthless and despicable this light bread. Hey, I wonder tonight if we're at the place where we're complaining that we don't really realize we're complaining about who Jesus Christ is. Did you notice there were consequences Now that desert area had a lot of unique creatures and reptiles, unique to it. And they knew the markings for serpents in the sand, in the bushes, in the rocks. They learned all that. Hey, these are people that came out of Egypt. They knew about that. But something happened which helped them to understand or caused them to understand what was going on with them. Verse 6 says, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, 
Much people of Israel died. Their sin opened them up to Satan's attacks. Their complaining, their bitterness, their blasphemy opened them up to Satan's attacks. And would you notice, they rejected God's human messenger, so God sent some animal messengers. These serpents, these venomous viper serpents, which I believe were cobras, unique to that area, and a cobra species that when it bit its victim, that the venom would race very quickly through the bloodstream and kill that person off very quickly there, within minutes. God used those serpents as a messenger to them. Now I want you to consider with me for a minute, God wanted to get their attention. God wanted to get their attention. When one person got bit, that was tragic. When five people got bit, that was tragic. When the numbers started to grow exponentially, and it went from five to 20 to 25 to 50 to 100 to 200 to 300, when it got to 1,000 people, it started to get their attention. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? God has allowed a COVID-19 plague to circle around the world. Thousands have died. They're predicting even more. There's a prediction they're giving that even 100,000 people in the United States could die. And listen, we're praying for a cure. No cure's going to come until this thing gets everyone's attention, until everyone gets their eyes off of themselves and realizes we are in a crisis. So we see the fangs of this serpent. The people were bitten. Their first contact was these venomous serpents, these cobras are coming out of the sand, and they're coming out everywhere and biting them, and coming out and biting them, and everyone's getting bit there. Everyone's getting snake bit. Listen, everyone was getting snake bit. Everyone was getting a taste of the poison that was already in them. They were bitten. God wanted them to feel their sin. And maybe tonight in the midst of all this, there's some things you've been bitten by. You've been bitten by bitterness. You've been bitten by unforgiveness. You've been bitten with a bad attitude. You've been bitten with a callous heart. You've been bitten with just a, a, just a distancing from the things of God. You've been bitten. We need to think about tonight, what's the old serpent bitten us with? Hey, listen, there was the fangs of the serpent. Notice, there was the fire of the serpent. Listen, it was described as a fiery serpent because this venom, once it got into the bloodstream, as it started racing through an individual's bloodstream, there was a burning sensation going throughout the entire body. They knew they had been poisoned. You imagine it made its way through the bloodstream and then it would find its way into the organs and this individual would quickly become, they would go into a semi-conscious state and their organs would start to fail and then that person would have difficulty breathing and their mind would, be, their mind would just go in and out and they would become delirious. And can you imagine, before long, within a matter of minutes, this person's breathing stopped and once healthy person now became someone that was very, very ill. Their organs started to fail. Their organs were shutting down. The poison was racing through their system. It was paralyzing their nervous system. It was paralyzing paralyzing everything about them, and eventually this person would die. Listen, there was a fiery serpent. I would remind you today, when Satan bites us, when sin bites us, it is just like that fiery venom. It races through us, and his goal is to go throughout all of our body and all of our soul and all of our spirit to disable us and cause us to be people who cannot be used of God. Then you notice there were fatalities. Verse 6 says, much people of Israel died. Isn't it very interesting in that whole area, 
Because remember I said earlier, imagine a wide expanse of area covering three million people. The only people that were bit were the people of Israel. And much people died. They were in a crisis. I'm amazed. Just the spirit and attitude people have by this COVID-19 virus. Much people have died. I shared this morning. My heart is so grieving right now. A dear precious lady we had the privilege of leading to Christ and baptizing passed away from the COVID-19 virus yesterday. I thank God she's in heaven. I thank God that his perfect will, there's something bigger than this than I could see. And that through this that her Family members who are not saved might come to Christ. But I'm fearful. More calamity. The numbers will have to grow until people feel it. Until it gets our attention. Where we get to the place where our lives are more important to us than toilet paper. Our lives are more important to us than getting a sack of rice. Souls are at stake. Do you understand how that affects us right now? We are somewhat impacted in just how do we get the gospel to people? How do we get a message of good news to people without Jesus Christ as Savior? you understand what I'm saying tonight? And that's why I'm urging you, church, as we're watching by live stream, don't sit there and get so comfortable through the service that you forget that there's a God whose will must be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's a God who's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we must remember that we must pray for souls to be saved. We're to rescue the perish and care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. People were pointing fingers. You know, so sad and so immature. We're still blaming a wet market in Wuhan, China. The president can't move too fast. He can't move too slow. Anything he says is under attack. Everything he does, I'm not giving, I'm not giving uh, acceptance to everything he's saying and whatever. I'm just telling you that's part of leadership. And I imagine there were a lot of people that received this news today that he's extending this, what he announced to April 30th. It probably was met with a lot of anxiety, and it should be. But there's so much complaining with that. But I remind you that the consequence of sin in this world is a speech against God, his message of hope, and loathes the bread of life. Brother, sister in Christ, this is, if there's ever been a time at church, we need to draw closer to God. We need to get a heart for the Lord. We need to pray and discern God's will for life. We ought to do it right now. Because I'm going to tell you, when this thing is all over, 
and we come back to some semblance of what we used to live, I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't let God get a hold of your heart, if you don't let God change you, if you don't spend this time fasting and praying, if you're not praying for revival, I'm going to tell you what, we're going to come back spiritually worse than before this thing even started right then. So we see the consequences. Notice, if you would, verse 7, we see the contrition. It wasn't too much people of Israel died. And people were falling to the ground and laying there and writhing in agony. It's this fiery venom is burning through their veins and shutting down their organs and impairing their nervous system, blinding some of them, impeding their speech, causing difficulty to breathe, making their breathing hard. I mean, all of these things that happen with, with, with this kind of a venom. The Bible says, therefore, therefore, why is it that God has to send a crisis to us to get our attention? Why is it that God has to send something this magnitude to get us to have tender hearts to God? Therefore, the people came to Moses. Now, they got their submission right. They got their spirit right. And they said, we have sinned. Hey, tonight, church, get up close to the camera and watch this. Would you have enough repentance and conviction in your heart to say with me, with me, we have sinned? As far as I'm concerned, we are the hope of Alameda County. If our spiritual lives are not right, we're not praying for divine intervention, there will be precious souls their blood will be on our hands because we didn't take it seriously. We need to say, we have sinned. We have sinned. They were contrite. They were humble. Notice, they said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. You know, it takes a lot of courage. Let me back up. It takes a lot of Christianity to say, I spoke against you and against the Lord. It takes a lot of Christianity to say, I've been rebellious. I've not been in subordination. I don't have humility. And I remind you tonight, God resists to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And they knew the only hope they had, notice verse 7, was they needed Moses in his rightful place. And they said, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. They asked for intervention. So this contrition, if you'll see what's going on here, they came with humility. They came with confession. They came with a heart for prayer. They asked for intervention. And we see a conciliator. Because... Up until that moment of time, Moses is the bad guy. Moses is the leader that took them out from their leeks and onions in Egypt. Moses is the one that took them out of bondage, but they didn't see it that way. Moses was the one they were blaming. They were pointing the finger at Moses. They were blaming God, but they needed a conciliator. And Moses prayed for the people. Listen, one of the things we see here about Moses, we see the meekness of Moses. Because Moses did not, he did, he did not react to the rebuttals, and he did not react to the rejections, and he did not fly off the handle. 
He was a man of meekness. When the Bible says he was the meekest man on earth, you know what he basically did? He shut his mouth. He grit his teeth. He bit his tongue. He did not respond back. He was reviled, but he reviled not again. He was criticized, but he criticized not. He was attacked, but he did seek revenge. Moses was a man of meekness. Let me tell you, in a moment like this, this is a moment of time Christians need to rise up. Heritage Baptist Church needs to rise up with a membership that has a heart of meekness and realizing, you know what, this is a time for God to show me my fault. This is a time for me to realize I've got to do more. And in meekness, he really was saying here, Moses had a continual service heart for those people. Listen, Moses loved those people. We know we see the meekness of Moses. We see the mediator, that we see Moses as a mediator. Moses prayed for the people. There's a lot of people to pray for. There's a lot of needs to pray about. Moses prayed for the people. Now I want to give you just... Just an idea of the magnitude of this man's leadership. Because if any of us who think we're good leaders, we pale in significance to the leadership of Moses, the leadership of Paul, and the leadership of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, I believe that Moses knew the, I, I believe he knew the name of every single Israelite that was in that camp. I really do. Shepherds are supposed to know their sheep. He knew every one of those Israelites. I don't believe he prayed a general prayer and then went off and did his thing and got on Twitter to tell, talk about, I prayed for the people. No, he didn't have time for social media. You know what he did? I believe he took time and prayed through the names of every one of those people and prayed for God's love. He saw the ones that were dead. They weren't coming back. And he started praying for every one of those people that were writhing on the ground. For those who had been initially bit and the venom is just starting to race. And those, they were, they were hanging between life and death right then and there. He was praying for the people. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your faith fail not. I'm praying that when you are converted that you'll go and strengthen the brethren as, Paul, as Jesus told Peter. And then would you notice as we close tonight, would you notice the cure? Moses prayed, and in verses 8 and 9, God gave him the cure for this crisis. Now remember, there were people all around him that were dying. There were people there that were already dead. Their bodies hadn't even been buried. There's carnage everywhere. Children are crying. Older people are crying. He could hear people who now the venom has raced through their bodies and they're at, this, they're at that end stage where everything's shutting down and it's extremely difficult to breathe. And as he's praying, God meets with the man of God. Would you notice verse 8? Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. I want you to notice that he gave him instructions that seemed so bizarre, <laughs> so strange. He was to make a serpent just like that cobra, just like that species. 
out of brass. And then he was to take a large pole. The Bible uses the word pole. It's also translated a banner, an ensign. It basically meant an extended pole, if I can use maybe our flag right here, about of that height. It wasn't his rod. The Bible says specifically it was a pole. And the Bible says that he was to take this brass serpent, follow me tonight, and set it upon a pole. Now that means the serpent had to be attached to it so that it would not fall off. That means during that time when they didn't have glue, they did not have adhesive tape or some kind of sticky substance, he had to have some type of an object like a nail to pierce through that serpent and fix it to the pole so it would be fixated on it would not fall. And that serpent, listen, if you're watching tonight, well, listen, brass is a symbol of judgment. Anywhere you read about brass, it's a symbol of judgment. That serpent bit them. That serpent represents their sin. That serpent represents the devil. And was telling them, listen, I want you to see this, he said. I want you to see that you're going to raise up this pole. And you're going to put this serpent on that pole and you're going to fix it on there. And it's to help these people to recognize that there, it was to help them to see that the, they were to look up and they were to see their sin in full. And they were to see that serpent, what he did. And notice the rest of verse 8. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon his pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Now watch this here. The serpent on that pole, that brass serpent, was to represent that the serpent was defeated. I want to remind you tonight, Satan is defeated at the cross. Satan is a defeated foe. Sin was nailed to the cross, praise God. Every one of our terrible, what terrible, heinous, wicked sins are nailed to the cross. And what he was telling them, listen, it wasn't that the serpent was their savior. The serpent represented their enemy, and the enemy was defeated there on that pole. And I remind you tonight that Jesus Christ defeated, G defeated Satan at the cross. So in this cure, would you notice, verse 8, there had to be contemplation. Now, when we think of a cure, we think of a shot, an inoculation, a normal tablet we have to take. But God said, it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, notice this, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Look at verse 9. Moses made a serpent of brass. And he put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, that's important. Brass is a symbol of judgment. Our sins and Satan were judged at the cross. They were defeated at the cross. Praise God on that. Amen. 
All these people had to do was look on that serpent, not glance at it. The word means behold, look upon. It means contemplation, to look for a very long period of time. It's like the story I've used many times about the funeral of Abraham Lincoln. When Abraham Lincoln died, they had his funeral there in state in Washington, D.C., and then they made the decision they would, they would transport his body by carriage all the way back to Illinois, where he was originally from. And on the day of his funeral, when they had the procession, that casket went down in a processional, a black woman who, had been, who, had, who was a beneficiary of the Emancipation Proclamation and was very thankful because to many of those slaves back in that time, Abraham Lincoln was a hero to them. And she had a little boy there that didn't really understand what was going on, and he was just kind of just excited about all the crowds and things. But his mother was crying. The little boy said, Mama, I can't see. Mama, I can't see. And so she picked the boy up and boosted him upon her shoulder. She said, Stand on my shoulder, son. And as that little boy stand on her shoulder, she boosted him up. She said, Take a long look, sonny. Take a long look. That man died for your sins. That man died for you. Listen, that's the idea that's being said here, that they were to take a long look at that brass serpent that was fixated on pole to realize that was their sin on there. That was their sin, and that was Satan defeated there. And they were to look and behold that as long as they looked there, they could have salvation. As long as they looked there, they could be set free from that curse of the venom. You've got to get your eyes off the serpent on the ground and the poison and your fears, the COVID-19 spread, the people dying, the obsession with the statistics. We got to get our eyes off that. Let's get our eyes on the cross. Amen. Let's get our eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now set down to the right hand of God for us. For consider him which endured such contradiction of sinners, lest ye also be consumed by the way. I'm telling you tonight, we've got to get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes off the past and get our eyes off the sin and get our eyes off the devil, get our eyes off defeat, get our eyes off unemployment, get our eyes off COVID-19, get our eyes off pandemic, get our eyes off the World Health Organization, get our eyes of what's happening all around us and get our eyes on Jesus Christ. Let's get our eyes on the Lord tonight. Look to Jesus for your salvation. Look to Jesus for your trials. Look to Jesus for your suffering. Look to Jesus for your victory. There was a contemplation. Notice if you would, there was a confidence. Can you imagine the first person looked up at that brass serpent The venom stopped working in his body. And the power of God went to work in his body. He got up. Instead of strained breathing, he was breathing normally. Instead of his eyesight failing, he could see clearly. Instead of his organs failing, his organs were healed. He felt it in his body. As that first person got up, across the way, listen, remember, there was a crisis that spread throughout that camp, a crisis that was, that that spread, listen, a different, something else spread. Faith started to spread through that camp. They started to have faith in Moses, not Moses, excuse me, they started to have faith in the power of God, and as they had faith in the power of God, they had faith in God's man, Moses, that God had put him in the right place for the right time. They had faith in God's power. They had faith in God's healing. They had faith in God's ability. Listen, they had confidence. I'm telling you tonight, when we get our eyes on Jesus, 
Jesus, our faith is renewed. Our faith is energized. Our faith is recharged. Get your eyes on the Lord so that your faith can be renewed. One last thing, we're done. The cure involved contemplation. The cure involved confidence. And what you notice, the cure gave them continuation. Amen. Verse 8 says, And when he looketh upon it, shall live. Verse 9, And when we beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. He lived. He had continuation of life. They got extenuation of life. They got a second chance, amen. They got another opportunity. They had enrichment of life. They didn't take life carelessly any longer. They started to live life to its fullest. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Hey, don't end your life as a miserable, defeated believer. And your life is one who is rich in Jesus Christ and excited every day about the joy of the Lord and serving Christ and winning souls and starting some churches and doing something for God. There's extenuation of life. There's enrichment of life. There's everlasting life. Everyone that looked upon it shall live, the Bible says. Hey, I'm excited to tell you, we can, we can stop languishing and we can start living. We can stop being critical and start being consecrated. We can stop being ill-tempered and we can be infused with the Holy Spirit of God. You're the cure for the crisis? Get your eyes on Jesus. Recognize your sin and the devil are defeated at the cross. Where are your eyes at? Have you been bit? Is that venom racing through your body? Has it afflicted your soul? Is your soul life languishing? Are you at a place where your spiritual life is you're about at the lowest place you could be? And listen, I got good news for you. It doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. Look to Jesus. Lay aside the weights and every sin which easily besets you. Look to Jesus. Look and live. My brother, look and live. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord for this week. Look to the Lord to give you golden nuggets out of his word tomorrow morning. Look to the Lord to answer your prayers. Look to the Lord to give you many more years to serve him. Look to the Lord to take this COVID-19 and stay his hand and extend his hand of mercy upon us. Look to the Lord if you're not saved tonight to get saved.